You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's show. Rachel, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know, frozen north it's freezing and snowy <laughs> yeah you guys really got dumped on up there i tell you what um you want some i wanted to, to um you, we actually could use some because we are we're a little short on snow down here so yes okay truck cool. it all down we would love that sounds great um it's probably my fault i bought some new cross-country ski boots to go with these cross-country skis someone gave me which means it's my fault you guys it's my fault mm-hmm. there is no uh snow so yeah. I apologize. You got to make the right um, sacrifice, Kirk. I, you do. I, I got to mention right off the bat, uh, a couple weeks ago, we put out the episode where we talked about how now um, our patron uh, group over at patreon.com slash strange by nature, the, uh, the uh, society of strange, we call it, yeah. uh, that there's a new feature where you get ad free episodes now, if you are a member. And I got to say, Mr. Johnny on the spot. We should say Mark on the spot. Shout out to Mark, who was hey, Mark. the very first person to run out and become uh, our, our newest patron uh, within, I think, hours of the episode dropping. You heard that and was like, yep, that's a deal for me. Uh, you can be like Mark. Everyone should be like Mark. And uh, head on over to patreon.com slash strange by nature. Join the Society of Strange and get your ad free episodes. I mean, but without further cool. ado, I want to get into this week's topics rachel I, a few weeks back we were chatting and i'm gonna be honest i don't we remember chat a anymore, lot. like when we have well i don't remember when we have conversations if it's on the show or not <laughs> so um <laughs> hence why i said we chat a lot <laughs> yeah you were mentioning that you like literally just had wolves passing through your yard Do you oh this? yeah 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 so um now, I'm just a little bit out of, out of the range of where wolves are in Minnesota, but they mm-hmm. are a common occurrence uh, where you live. Absolutely. We find signs very... all the time. Perfect. Then let me ask you an important question, Rachel. Are you afraid of the big bad wolf? No. No. Right? No. <laughs> so we have... I'm we more have afraid of the moose. <laughs> right. Yeah. Moose are terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have these stories in our culture, weirdly not about moose, but about wolves. And a lot of that stems from Europe and um, European immigrants that, uh, that uh, came over to this country. And these stories really portray wolves with um, a lot of hatred and portray them as very dangerous creatures. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Wolves can attack humans. Right. But in all of North America, in all of recorded history, there have only been... 21 fatal wolf attacks. 14 of those were in the lower 48 of the U.S., five in Canada, and two in Alaska. In all so, of recorded history? A, yeah. You know, going back, I mean, I'm sure there, there could have been more back, you know, before people were bothering to write this stuff down. But, you know, this yeah. is like as far back as we can find all the records, 21 people. And to put Ooh. that in perspective, we talked about this just before uh, on the show, there were 272 deaths from dogs 
in just the eight year span between 2008 and 2015. Yeah. So, you know, that's not all of recorded history. So, and people aren't like, wolves are, your dogs are evil, right? No. And like, dogs are these wonderful, cuddly things, and sometimes accidents happen. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not saying wolves are necessarily cuddly creatures you should go out and cuddle. Um, you, but you shouldn't. Fears of, of wolves. For the record, you definitely yeah, shouldn't. You, in fact, you shouldn't, right? <laughs> Fear of uh, wolves is greatly overblown. Now, in other parts of the world, we see fear of other animals, um, like drop bears in Australia, of course. Right. Um, but I want to focus on one of them in particular, and that's the tiger. Oh, now, okay. here's the deal. I'm, I, for real, am not afraid of wolves, but tigers give me a little more pause. <laughs> tigers they make definitely me think eat more, more people. <laughs> Yeah, they eat more people than wolves do. Uh, between yeah. I didn't, was able to find some numbers between 1876 and 1912, which was a 64 year period. If you're quick mm-hmm. with the math, tigers killed 33,247 people in India. Oh, so 33,000 people in a 64 year period. Wow. What's that's, that do for you? <laughs> that's, that makes that's me a lot. rethink of a, a rethink. My answer to a would you rather that was asked of me a few okay. weeks ago. <laughs> what, what, what was that? Uh, I think it was would you rather, was it would you rather fight a tiger or a moose with a calf? And I think I said tiger. With a cat? A calf. You're using a, baby. a cat? No, a oh. calf. Like a, a baby moose. Oh. <laughs> So a mother moose. You're fighting. You're like holding a calf, and you're like fighting. Okay, that makes much more sense. Um, boy, right? They're both sound really, really bad. Yeah, Um, I think I went tiger. But you know, but I, I might rethink that. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. That's Mm -hmm. both unfun. But I, I feel like a moose. Maybe I might stand a better chance. But here's the deal. Uh, 33,247 is a lot of people. Um, The rate used to be much higher in the past. And by the past, I mean, you know, 1876 to 1912. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Then it is now. Uh, But annually, there's about three people per year that are killed by tigers. So it's still an issue, although clearly not as much as it used to be. I mean, some of this comes down to um, better management uh, and things like that. Population size, too. Uh, of the tigers you mean yeah yeah exactly i'm like because the population of humans is going up uh when you actually look at the cases of um people sort of some of these man-eating tigers and whatnot Mm -hmm. one of the common things you find um is that the cats themselves are often some way injured before this happens Mm. so in one famous case which was the um uh, Champawat, I believe it's pronounced, Champawat tiger. Okay. This one tiger killed 436 people. And when it was finally okay. shot, what they discovered is that it had a it had badly broken teeth in her lower jaw. Oh. And so she was attacking humans as a last resort. Yeah. It was like the only prey she could go after. So as a like rule, catch. tigers yeah. really prefer not to he- hunt humans, mm-hmm. but that she kind of felt like that was her only Thing left she could try to get mm-hmm. now the reason i'm talking about tigers at all this week isn't just because they are fascinating they and are sort of this history of some of these man-eating tigers is interesting 
but it's because of something I came across, a little news item, when I was actually doing some background reading for an episode I did a few episodes back about the various smells we call musk. Do you remember this? I remember musk, yes. I disappointed many of yeah. my friends telling them about musk and perfume. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you can imagine, um, if you do end up with a man-eating tiger on the loose, mm-hmm. you want to be able to catch it. And so researchers want to be able to, uh, researchers, I guess, also want to be able to catch tigers for science, not just to catch, you know, man-eaters and whatnot. But right. they want to be able to learn more about tigers. And so being able to either catch them or even just bait them in to attract them into camera traps or DNA traps and whatnot, that can be a really good thing. But how do you attract a tiger? Well, Researchers thought that maybe musk might do the trick. Hmm. And where do you find musk these days? In perfume, perfume and in colognes. Right. So the news item I wanted to share was that researchers at the Bronx Zoo decided to test out which perfumes and colognes tigers like the best. I love this. Are you ready to find out? I absolutely well, want to know. <laughs> they hit the stores um, and what they found... Uh, was they, they found 23 different like scents that they wanted to compare. Mm-hmm. And they did an, uh, like an, an attention study. So they'd spray an object and then see how long that object would hold the tiger's attention. Right. And the, the differences were quite striking. So at the bottom of the barrel was Estee Lauder's Beautiful, oh. uh, which was clearly not a hit with the tigers. Tigers only pay attention to the target for two seconds. <laughs> almost not enough to even register. They kind of went like, no, nah, like, I'm good. Okay. And walked away, right? So they're like, like mm, nope, what's not that? interested. No, I don't care. So they tested all 23 of those and the winner, hands down, no questions asked, holding the cat's attention mm-hmm. for a full 11.1 minutes Whoa. was none other than Kelvin Klein's obsession for men. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing. Uh, so what's what's That's going great. on here, right? Uh, they clearly have if an obsession at, for men. Yeah, if you look at... <laughs> Kel- you probably hope not if you fall into the pit <laughs> or something there. Um, Kelvin Klein's obsession for men contains a compound called civetone. Mm-hmm. And this is a musk compound uh, that is created by civet cats. Okay. So clearly the tigers find this civet cat smell really interesting. And they're like, what is this? Like... Okay, there's some kind of cat smell in it here. It smells like so a cat, cats... but it's not a cat. What yeah, is this? Yeah, <laughs> not surprising. They, they, they find it interesting. And other ones that also have a civetone, I think, have been shown to like be of more interest to um, some of these cats. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not just, uh, not just tigers, though. Researchers have actually begun using cologne and perfume to attract big cats in the wild. Some Ooh. researchers in Nicaragua and Guatemala have actually used scents to attract jaguars to camera traps. Uh, camera traps often put different scents out. So it might be like food or something like that to try to oh, attract yeah. an animal in. In this we case, they found those, using... We have one of those at the site that I work at. We put... A, we Nice. We call it Wolf Kill Hill. What do you use? Deer. And so what, what do you... I use it as a dead deer. Yeah, yeah. That, that works too. <laughs> um, so obviously, you know, having prey out can be tricky to all these sites. And so they were using scents and they could spray the actual camera and the jaguars would like come right up with the camera and be like, oh, what, what's going on here? You know, mm-hmm. and like rub their faces all over the camera, trying to get that smell on them and stuff cool. like cats do. Right. Um, and they've also found that 
Uh, I, I couldn't find out if they were actually setting up something to purposely do this, but they found that when the cats were like rubbing their faces on the center on the camera, they could actually get some of their hairs stuck. Ooh, cool. And then they could come back later and take those hairs out um, and For do DNA, DNA testing on them. That's awesome. Yeah. So they're actually using, you know, I don't know if it's specifically Calvin Klein's obsession for men, but using some of these musks, musky smelling colognes to attract some of these cats in mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, being able to gather valuable data, which I think is super cool. That's very cool. Back in, in, yeah, back in India as well. I do know I saw there were some people who were looking at whether or not perfume can also be used to attract and trap troublesome cats mm-hmm. that have maybe gotten a taste for humans. Or also just, like I said, um, trapping or attracting tigers because you want to put a radio collar on them or yeah, study research, them or something. Yeah. So um, very, very cool. Uh, so I, I, I'll kind of wrap things up just by saying next time you're at the zoo, if you're going to visit the tigers, I'm not sure what to tell you. Like maybe try some Kelvin Klein's obsession for men if you want the tigers to pay attention. Uh, but maybe for the sake of those around you, uh, like me, who find cologne mm. usually overpowering, maybe just for go sense at the zoo and save yeah. it for attracting cougars at the bar. Oh, Kirk. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh. I, oh I have to say, I, I, I did not find any research saying whether or not Calvin Klein's obsession for men works on cougars. So uh, you will have to do your own research on that. And oh. please let us know. Write to us. Contact at Strange by Nature. <laughs> Uh, podcast.com and let us know if you've had any success with that my uh, sources for this week were uh, the Center for Disease Control Pounce, uh, Pounch Conservation uh, NPR and Wikipedia Awesome. so that's what I got uh, we're going to take a break and when we come back we'll have Rachel yeah. so Have you ever thought about what would happen if your airline window popped out? Or if you could build a jetpack using only machine guns? (laughs) Turns out you can, but you really, really shouldn't. Hi, I'm Jill Chacha, host of a podcast that's for weird people who like learning about weird stuff. It's called, well, that's interesting. And it's a comedy science show that tells the story behind the facts because those stories are funny. Every Thursday, I tell the tale behind an odd new discovery, like how researchers found two mysterious structures surrounding Earth's core, or how it's actually possible to stop hiccups using a rectal massage. Yes, there's a story behind that. No pun intended. And I tell the story because storytelling is the perfect way to learn and remember. The facts are bizarre, the stories are epic, and the laughter is plentiful. So, join the flock and listen. Well, that's interesting wherever you do podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. So one of our listeners sent this to me and has been patiently waiting for me (laughs) to hurry up and cover this topic. So, Brett. I know some of the people send us ideas and it takes a yes. while for that to get through them. But again, contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. Send oh, us absolutely. your ideas and your comments and we read all the emails. We love them. It's beautiful. Uh, so, Brett, this is for you. You've been waiting so patiently. Here we go. Uh, what do you know about reindeer, Kirk? I mean, a fair amount. Uh, okay. I know about their relationship with K 
caribou, right? Mm. Kind of similar there. Oh, um, are they similar? Uh, I mean, are they... S- they're depending on how you look at it, I think I heard that they're actually the same animals. They are. Or maybe like a subspecies. I yeah. will talk about it for sure. What else okay. do you know? Am I, I, I know they sometimes eat mushrooms and go crazy. That is, that's fair. Okay. Uh, do you know that story? <laughs> I don't know if I know that particular story, but that's We'll save okay. that for the bonus <laughs> uh, for the patrons. So. Yeah. <laughs> What do you know? What do you know about uh, caribou? Well, besides they make a superior cup of coffee to Starbucks. Agreed. As a diehard Minnesotan and former barista for caribou coffee. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so a bit of background on reindeer for everybody. Reindeer okay. and caribou are the same. That's the yeah. thing about we just we've discussed how we feel about common names here on the podcast and the weirdness that happens with yeah. common names. Uh, and here it strikes again. So reindeer are what we call either domesticated or uh, Eurasian species of caribou. And in North yeah, America, yeah. they're caribou. <laughs> and that was kind of what I was just thinking of, too, with the fact that like they've been... It's the same animal, essentially, but it's been like they're herded and stuff too. Yeah, the actual reindeer. Exactly. Uh, the scientific name is Rangifer Paranandis. Paranandis. It's easy for you to say. Right. And they are part of the deer family. One thing that you did mention that there are subspecies of reindeer slash caribou i'm going to use the words reindeer i'm going to i'm going to try to use them more interspersed or interchangeably but i might say reindeer okay more um but we will we're all adults here except for the children listening so right we will uh and the children are exceptional children because they listen to this show so we all know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. so because there are subspecies and there's a number of subspecies throughout the uh, circumpolar range that they uh, follow and navigate. It can change the weight and their location is really what tells you what subspecies is where. Uh, but they're all under the okay. same umbrella in the deer family. So we're just going to call them right. all one. Because they are the deer family, one of the characteristics for deer is they have four legs. They're kind of brownish. They have hooves, and they grow antlers. Reindeer are really, really cool because they actually grow the largest and the heaviest of all uh, antlers of all the deer family, which is wild because moose are in this family. (laughs) But male antlers can grow. They're heavier, huh? They're heavier. They get up to 33 pounds. Which is wow, because like I know so they can heavy. get long, but they don't right. seem like they get as thick as like a uh, moose. Right, That's I think fascinating. Part of it is because they don't, they, they, they have to have a certain amount of strength, right, to get that long. So that way they're not like any sort of flexible. I guess I'm not. I'm thinking probably just how like a stick, you know, like the thicker it is, the stronger it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be heavier because denser material. That's that's my logic. Sure. I don't know if that is 
necessarily huh. what actually happens, but they are the largest and the heaviest uh, antlers. And another that's thing that's cool. really cool is that male and females both grow antlers, which is not hugely right, common right, right. in the deer family. Most of the time, it's just no, the males that grow their fa- grow the antlers. Um, both right. the males start growing their antlers in like a March, April, and then they drop them in November, and then the females yep. start growing them in May. And then keep growing them until they have their, or they will continue to grow them and keep them until they have their have their calves in mm-hmm. late April, May, drop their antlers, and then start growing them again. Which means, wow, okay. Kirk, you know what this means? Uh, a couple things. Yes, but most important. Uh, the- all of oh, Santa's they start growing them immediately? Not necessarily immediately. Oh, no. all, I see. Okay. No, but what's you're important? Going, you're going is, the the different direction. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> am. Slightly slight tangent here. Yeah. This means that all Santa's of Santa's reindeer, reindeer are female. <laughs> because are female, yeah. all the males <laughs> have dropped their antlers, so all of them are female. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so funny. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that being said. Uh, reindeer have the same kind of hoof feet. They have like two hooves, like half toes on their feet. And that's pretty characteristic for deer. Theirs are pretty cool it, because they are found so far north, uh, especially particularly in the mm-hmm. Arctic region. Their whole body, they are mammals, so they have hair, they have fur. Their whole body is covered in fur. From the bottom of their sure. feet all the way up through the their bottom nose. bottom of their feet. Their bottom of their feet will have some hair on there. Did not know that. Which actually, That's cool. it's so cool. And their hooves actually will like harden and then soften depending on the season. So it's spongier to oh. walk on mud and things, but they'll harden to be able to walk yeah. on frozen ground. And the hair that's on the bottom of their feet actually allows them to be able to grip on the frozen ground easier kind of like how uh snowshoes or old cross-country skis used to work right we used to use like mohair in order to grip and go up hills deer the caribou are doing the same thing which is wild um just so that way they can walk on the the frozen surfaces yeah which is crazy they're also really well known to eat just about anything that they can get their hands on. Uh, they are vegetarian or herbivores, not veg. Well, same difference. They're herbivores, so they will eat shrubs. They'll eat bark. They will eat mushrooms. They'll eat ferns. They'll eat mosses. They'll even eat lichen, which is not a really common oh, yeah. an- uh, thing to be eaten by in the animal There's world. Sometimes when lichen is like all they're eating. Exactly. And most of the time that's in like midwinter because it is a really high energy food and it Mm -hmm. allows them to be able to eat a bunch of it and get the energy they need to be able to survive. But they have to have a special enzyme in their stomach in order to break it down, which is pretty cool. Interesting. I did see a um, like a a travel TV show type thing like food where they I want to say they were in Greenland and they were Mm -hmm. with some... um, 
uh, you know, native hunters who were going after, I believe it was, you know, caribou. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they had shot one of these and they brought the, the host of the TV show over and they're like, and they, they cut the stomach open to show that it was just all lichen. Mm-hmm. Like that was the only thing. And, and it, but it was the, the, what's called the chyme. It's like all the fermenty stuff oh, yeah. in like a, a, a deer's stomach. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of dipped this knife into this chyme made out of just lichens. And they mm-hmm. kind of explained to the guy, like, this is, you know, you eat. It's tradition. You eat. And they, they, the host is like, oh, my God, are you, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's, this is a tradition. When you kill it, you eat some of this. And he's like, oh. Okay, all right, you know, I'll, I'll do it. This is the tradition I want. That's why I'm here, you know. And so he took like a mouthful and started to eat it. And he's like, oh my, oh, so, oh, so awful. And he looks over and they're just dying, like laughing their asses off. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, he actually ate it. He actually ate it. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we don't eat that. That's disgusting, dude. Yeah, that's gross. We don't have those like, enzymes. <laughs> brilliant. Oh, man. Brilliant. Uh, but it's a great little tidbit. I, I don't remember <laughs> what show it was on, but I was, it, made, it made an impression. That's so great. Uh, I love little jokes like that. That's always fun. <laughs> so every day, though, uh, their stomach is full of lichen. They have because they are herbivores and they're large herbivores. Yeah. They have to eat a lot in order to keep their body weight up, to keep their energy up, to be able to survive and produce yeah. the amount of heat that they need in order to survive. Right. So they Isn't have that to cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have to eat up to eighteen pounds of vegetation every day oh, and if that's all lichen like 18 pounds of lichen is just such a massive amount it weighs uh-huh. almost nothing right which leads Ugh. right into what i'm sure brett is so excited for me to get into and is just saying get on with it so when you have to eat yeah what's, that the, what's much, the story then yeah well think about it you said it lichen and plants, they don't weigh that much. So when you have to right. eat that much, especially in the warm months, when all of this vegetation avail- is available and you're building up your fat reserves, when you're eating that much and foraging and migrating around so you can get all the food that you need, as well as making sure your calf and your herd get what they need to survive, right. What, right. what do you take away for time-wise? There's only so many hours in the day, Kirk. Oh, You're no traveling way. and eating. Do they, do they like not sleep? Oh, it's better, Kirk. It's better. It's better? What? It's better. They well, can eat uh, okay. and sleep at the same time. Oh, they're, oh my God. Okay. Are they able to shut down parts of their brain at a time and sleep parts of their brain like a shark does? Kind of. So it's oh. it's wild. One thing I didn't mention to you is reindeer are ruminants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that means that they, very similar to like cows, they will chew food down, go into one stomach. It'll come back into a different stomach and they will continue to like chew on this cud, right? Yeah, they'll chew the cud, yeah. As they're chewing the cud, they're able to go into like a light sleep to help them rest because it's a (laughs) mindless chewing motion. And as they're chewing, 
They're just oh. resting and their brain waves go down. This is a recent discovery, Kirk, because scientists were like, well, so they must be sitting there looking drowsy more in chewing, the winter. They're actually right. partially sleeping. They're partially sleeping yeah. because what is wild is uh, scientists went into this. Uh, this is a recent study that was published in December of 2023. So this is super recent. Okay. Uh, it was published yeah, yeah, in, yeah. Um, oh gosh, it was in Current Biology. So super duper recent in our time anyway. Um, and it, it pretty much allows them to nap all during the day as they're like just chewing um, because they're, it's a rhythmic motion. And what happened was uh -huh. the scientists thought that they must just not sleep all that much in the warmer months because they're, they have to eat so much because the Arctic summer is so short. So uh -huh. because it is so short and they have to eat all this much, they must sleep more in the winter months. But that isn't what happens. They get the same amount of sleep in the winter as they do in the summer. Wow. So their sleep rate so, doesn't change. That's so interesting. I mean, because I mentioned sharks. I used to work at uh, an aquarium, <clears throat> a very large aquarium that was like a couple million gallon aquarium that you could walk through. And we had sharks. So one of the things you would see, mm -hmm. and we've talked about this before, we, I, yeah. I, 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 for a while, worked on the overnight program and did the Sleep with the Sharks program that you came to. As I a Girl did. Scout. It I, wasn't a Girl Scout. I think it we just figured out that fun. we didn't. Oh, okay. We didn't like overlap. I don't think I was the one teaching when you were there, but right. uh, no. it was close. We didn't overlap. It was very <laughs> and close, one, though. One of the things that would happen is you'd be, you could be in the aquarium in the middle of the night and the sharks are just swimming mm -hmm. all night long. It's a similar thing where you said it's that rhythmic motion. They just, they, they kind of lock in a pattern that they're swimming and they just swim and swim and swim and swim, but they're, they're sleeping exactly. when they do it. So it's, it's the it's, same There kind are of other thing. examples of this happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's the so, same so kind cool. of thing. As long as they're like chewing wow. cud and just chewing, they can be asleep. And they can do that for like five hours. Maybe not all at the same time, but they are apparently hardwired to need like about six hours of sleep. And mm -hmm. the scientists, when they were doing this, first of all, I find this very funny. They did it by studying the brain waves, which means that they stuck... Uh, several reindeer with non-invasive electrodes on their heads to monitor the brain waves, yeah. <laughs> which is so funny <laughs> they must have to looked just awesome. think about it. <laughs> that just sounds so fun. Um, and they did it with, uh, they did it not only with wild, some wild reindeer, but they did it with some domesticated reindeer as well uh, to be able to decipher if there was a change or anything like that. And Truly, they found that they spent about an hour a day uh, in REM sleep, and then they spent the re uh, the rest the six hours or so in non-REM sleep. And while they were in that non-REM sleep, they would continue to just munch. Chew the cud. But their wow. brainwaves show that See, they were just in non-REM sleep. Yeah, it just reminds me, like, I, I literally was just teaching last week and talking about how one of the things I love about nature mm -hmm. is you find out there is more than one way to do the same thing, mm -hmm. right? And that's just so fascinating to think about all the little subtle different ways because animals need sleep. And I did a whole oh, episode yeah. about you sleep did it a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
And so it's like animals have to have sleep. But there's different ways to figure it out. We talked about how ducks like sleep half their brain at a time. And that's why they sleep in these circles that can be watching out for predators. Like there's all these really cool things that as you start to go down that that road to learn more about sleep, you realize that it's not all just one thing. And you wonder how many animals have strange sleep habits that we don't even know about. I mean, I was talking about groundhogs this week uh, with kids Mm -hmm. and hibernation. And we know that a lot of animals come out of hibernation so they can sleep and then go back into hibernation. It wouldn't look any different if you're just watching them. But like if you measure their brain waves, you're like, oh, no, they came out of hibernation. They slept and then went back into hibernation because sleep is that important. You know, right. It's it's super, super cool. It's so cool. And uh, going back to like reindeer too, uh, not only did they find too um, that they were taking these little naps as they could while they were chewing that cud which allows mm-hmm. them to actually get more nutrients out of that food in the first place. But right. it also allowed them because it allowed their brain to kind of shut down a little bit because they didn't have to use their brain to really concentrate on finding food or anything. It allowed yeah. them because they were able to get, if they were able to get more sleep, non REM sleep with these little naps, then they required less deeper, less deep sleep later. Because their brain was huh. well rested, it's so okay. cool. <laughs> so that there's cool, and there's still research to be done, right? Uh, like, oh, what yeah. exactly oh, is yeah. happening? About how how are they doing this? Is is their brain like shutting down, or is it like true sleep, or what is our requirement for sleep? Because a lot of the time, it's not eating while sleeping, but I mean, it's the same thing with the shark. Is this what I was doing in 10th grade math class? Exactly. There's a question too. Exactly. So there's a lot of really cool research that's going to be coming into, hopefully coming into all of this. Um, But Brett sent me this and has been waiting very patiently. I finally hope I did this justice. My sources this week, there was an article in NPR. Uh, I also use the National Park Service uh, to get a little more info about reindeer in general. And then uh, Scientific American also had a really great article uh, about it as well. I couldn't read the actual paper because it was uh, behind paywalled. a paywalled. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. That's well, fun. Uh, but that's, that's what I've got. Very, very cool. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out this week and uh, yeah. talking some weird science. Only always, Kirk. Thanks everyone for Only listening. Uh, yeah, we'll see everybody next week. Yeah, see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace The Strange.